0: Josh Friedemann. As I said last week, today's interview is going to continue the conversation that we started last week with Andy Wallace. Andy talked about building a culture that lifts people up rather than holding them down by using power well. And in today's interview, we're going to continue talking about how to create a culture where people feel empowered because you as the leader are making sure that your team is both taken care of and empowered to do the work that they're supposed to be doing. Our guest today teaches leaders how to love, learn, and let go so they can create a workplace that fully engages the creative and productive power of people. He's learned how to do this through 20 years of service in the Army and continues to learn today. He shared what he learned with thousands of students and clients since he retired, and his message will inspire you and your team to obliterate obstacles, accelerate innovation, and elevate performance, leaving everyone motivated and engaged for the future. He's written multiple books, including his most recent, Leader Sites, creating great leaders who create great workplaces. Here is David Veach. David welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Josh. Thanks for having
0: me. So I like to start off every interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So, you ready for these? Yes, sir. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day?
1: My favorite saying is one by A.A. Milne. He's the guy who created Winnie the Pooh. He said, good judgment comes from experience. Experience, well, That comes from bad judgment. (laughs) I think that allows us to try things. It allows us to push the envelope. It allows us to screw things up. It allows us to fail and learn from that. So uh, I, I
0: like that. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is...
1: First, a leader is loving. Leaders should provide compassionate care for the people that they're responsible for. Second, I would say a leader is always learning uh, never accepting that they're the smartest person in the room. And third, I think a, le- a leader is letting go, using every opportunity they can to develop people through real work challenges by letting go of some of the stuff that they're trying to do themselves.
0: What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others?
1: I think uh, leaders should ask Whether a decision or an action that they take will lead to a consequence that they can be proud of. I think we do a lot of things in haste without really thinking through them. And as a result, we get uh, results that are worse for
0: people. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders?
1: I've got to say, uh, there's one called Leadership BS by Jeffrey Pfeffer. He's a leadership guru, a professor. uh, I think he's at Stanford now, but I'm not sure. Uh, but he asks in this book, and you know, we've spent billions of dollars and decades on leadership development, leadership programs, leadership profiles, all this good stuff. And he says, um, after all that, why do we still have so many leaders who suck? When I develop a, a leadership program for a particular person or a particular client, I keep that in mind. But I mean, what's the what's the stuff that we've been teaching, and how can we make those principles that we know are good, how can, we, how can we build that into the work that we do so that we're helping each other to succeed every day and behave the way we want to behave instead of, uh, oh, that was a great class. Now I'm going back to being the way I was. So I would, I would highly recommend Leadership BS for anyone in the leadership industry.
0: If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Believe. (laughs) If
1: you just believe that you can be a better leader, uh, you can be a better leader. Uh, The thing is, you have to change something about the way you behave. Uh, And that's much harder than believing. So if you change something about the way that you behave, you can be a better leader, you can be more effective, Uh, you can get better results, you can overcome any kind of obstacle. But you've got to change. You have to figure out what you're going to do better. And there's lots of instruments out there that will help you with that. Uh, I'd be happy to help you with that. But by God, you got to change something.
0: And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not?
1: (laughs) That is a fine question. I actually think that both are valid. But we typically ask why after something happens. Oh, my God, this happened. Why did that happen in a whining kind of way? But we ask why not before something happens? Why shouldn't we do this? So I like the thought of asking, but uh, way more important than the asking is, is answering. If we answer those questions, why not do this and put some good thought into that, then maybe we can get better results. If we ask why. After something has happened, maybe we can find out what really caused it, come up with something creative to prevent that from ever happening again.
0: Well, David, we are here today to talk all things leadership. The first question that I want to bring up today, though, is about your book, Leader Sites. It came out two or three years ago, and the the subtitle for this book is Creating Great Leaders Who Create Great Workplaces. Could you give us an oversight of the key points of this book, uh, some of the things that you're really wanting to instill in leaders through this book and the work that you do in general?
1: I think the most important thing uh, for leaders is to make three decisions every day. We've got to decide every day that we're going to love the people around us. We're going to love the work that we're doing. We're going to love what we're doing. We're going to love the work environment. we got to love. And too many people get worked up about this word thinking it's some kind of emotional, smooshy, squishy thing, when really all it is is it's a decision. And it's a decision that involves you deciding that you're going to put the needs of other people above your own. And and maybe that's a a, a first time thing for you, but it's got to be something uh, that drives our behavior. And if we put the needs of others above our own, it changes the relationship. It changes all kinds of things about that. So the next decision is this learning thing. Okay, so loving, then learning. Uh, If we're going to put the needs of others above our own, the most important thing for us to learn is what they need. Right. So. Uh, we've got to spend time understanding the work that they're doing, understanding the problems that they're facing, understand the relationships that they're in so that we can understand how we might be able to provide better support, better development, and get better results with them. Uh, And then finally, it's letting go. I find so many leaders who, uh, in an effort to make sure that, that we can get things done quickly and correctly, Instead of allowing somebody to try something and failing, they will instead do it themselves. Or they'll allow somebody to try it and they'll fail once. And then they'll say, well, I'm not going to give you a second chance. I'll just do it myself. And then that puts an extra work burden on the leader. And if they're doing all that work, you know, they're not leading. And they got to be out there. Or they got to be understanding what people need. They got to be providing the resources people need to succeed. And they can't do that if they're tied up doing all that work. So, kind of, that's the essence of the book: is, is how do we make those decisions to love, learn, and let go? And then, uh, in the leadership model that I've built, uh, there's a, a fourth piece, and that's uh, connecting. Uh, once we get this base of performance, then if we want to, if we want to continue working in a high performance culture or in a uh, an engaged culture, then we want to attract more people to our team. So, we've got to get really good at telling other people about the wonderful things that uh, our teams are doing. So we get to brag. We get to brag about the efforts and the results of our team. We can't really do it for us. It's not about us as individual leaders. It's got to be about what the team has accomplished, the kind of workplace we've created, and wouldn't it be great if you would join us here? And then we get that continuous influx of new ideas and new people and new talent that any organization needs to continue to thrive because we can't always see everything that we look at every day, right? So we need somebody else to come in and say, hmm, why are you doing it that way? So if if I can get leaders to do that, love, learn, let go, and then reconnect to attract other people, I think they'll be in a good place.
0: And we talked about in your bio how you like to help people to fully engage and to be able to help people be productive and creative, is this the process that helps that to happen? This this idea of loving, learning, letting go, and connecting, or is there something else to that?
1: Well, I think if you if you fail to make those decisions, then you won't take the action that's required to actually engage employees. So, if you make those decisions, uh, you will be able to create the relationships. And understand the needs, but you still got to build some systems that will allow people to have a voice and allow you to teach them how to critically think through the issues that they're having uh, so that uh, eventually they can solve the problems without your help, right? So moving from the kind of culture that we have in most organizations today, uh, which is, in my opinion, uh, kind of a very compliant culture people do a lot of work, but they really only do what they're told to do. Even when people say you're empowered, the actual execution of things means you're really not, right? You're empowered when I tell you you're empowered, and you're not when I don't tell you you're empowered, um, right? So if we have certain systems in place and we spend time teaching people instead of just directing people, uh, eventually people are going to take these steps through these different gates, I guess, to get from this culture of compliance up the ladder to this culture of engagement. It's a long, hard road, but it, it means leaders have to give up an awful lot of control. They have to give up an awful lot of, uh, well, they have to take some risks because some people are uh, uh, come to them in varying skill levels, right? Um, so if, if the leader understands that their primary role is to teach and develop people and we do that by giving them a chance and giving them feedback and encouraging them and challenging them to the next level then i think we'll be able to to do everything we need to do certain structures you got to have but it's really you know visual systems things that people can see simple cards to fill out things like that
0: now, I'd love to hear from you a little bit about how you came up with this love, learn, let go framework. Is it just a matter of spending time doing things and, and over time, those those principles as well as, as the principle of, of connecting, those just kind of come to the surface as the most important things? Or was this something that you actually sat down and tried to to reason through?
1: It was more the former, you know, when you're, when you're looking at this stuff from the observer perspective, not the actual doer, I'm, I'm not in the midst of this, it's really hard to look at yourself when you're in the midst of the battle. But when you, when you spend a little time deliberately watching leaders who get great results and leaders who don't, you can tell pretty quickly the ones who've decided that the needs of others come first. So that, that's, it. I was really working on this integral leadership model that kind of brought it together I had a friend introduce me to servant leadership. It's been forever ago now, but I started reading and I started observing from that kind of lens. I'm looking for leaders who display these types of, of servant leader behaviors. And, and that kind of formed the core of everything. If you don't have that at your core, then I really can't guarantee what you might end up with by doing the other things, right? So I, I learned pretty quickly and validated what I learned through years of observations. We've got to do that. That's one of the things that I was taught um, as an Army officer right off the bat. You're responsible for your guys. You're working for them. It's not You're not working for the bosses. You're working for them. Your job is to keep them alive. You can only keep them alive by training them, by developing their skills, by building relationships so that they depend on each other. Uh, that was kind of fundamental, and that was 19... 19- I guess 77 was the first time I kind of had a leader tell me that. Mm. And as I've gone through uh, and practiced a lot of this stuff while an army officer with a diverse population of people and in all kinds of different situations. Um, fortunately um, I was, I was one of the very few folks blessed enough not to, I made it 20 years in the army without ever getting shot at. So uh, there's, there's some experiences that I don't have that I don't share with some of these guys but I know that uh, in talking to those and building relationships with, with folks who've been through every kind of crisis you can imagine, that core of uh, servant leadership and that core of putting the needs of others above your own is is absolutely critical to the successful leaders that I talk to.
0: Now, going back to this this process that we've been talking about, this idea of loving, learning, and letting go, if you start off leading that way and... and- if you start off with some of these servant leadership principles you've just been talking about, then you can kind of set the culture from the very beginning. But if you're coming into an organization where other leaders have already been leading, maybe well, maybe not well, how do you begin to effect some of these changes? How do you how do you bring these into the culture so that you can begin changing it and shaping it for the better?
1: Almost every organization has their operating philosophy, their their vision, mission, and their values. The problem is most of them just like put them on the website or put them on a plaque or something, and they don't really do anything to build those values into their structures for driving behaviors. I think if we if we work together as senior leaders of an organization and define the acceptable behaviors that we will allow in the pursuit of our vision and in the execution of our daily mission, if we define those values in terms of the behaviors that we want to see from people, then I think we can build in feedback mechanisms and work mechanisms that will allow people to stay on track and stay within those. But we also have to enforce those, right? I've gone a lot of places where they say, Hey, you know, integrity is one of our values. And then they lie about things to people. Um, they're not upfront about the the financial situations they might be in and the the risk of having to lay off a bunch of employees. You get into a crisis like the one we're in today, you know, you can say all bets are off, but organizations who have laid this platform out, their folks are a whole lot less anxious about making it through this and having the support that they need because the organization has has prioritized that set of values and that set of behaviors that they want to reinforce.
0: In your answer, you've, you've, brought up a couple terms you've talked about feedback work mechanism and previously you've also talked about process in general, how do you set up healthy systems? Is it a matter of the the top leaders being on board and being being willing to implement the values that you espouse or is there more to developing healthy systems to make sure that the priorities of the leaders in an organization actually come to fruition?
1: I think having the, having the senior leaders put a stake in the ground, that makes it, that makes it easy, right? But uh, there aren't very many organizations who have actually done that. Uh, we are going to implement this new system, right? And, you know, my background is all about uh, uh, lean and the Toyota production system and operational excellence. And the tools that I learned are all very well suited for driving the right kind of leadership behavior. If you understand that when you're building these systems, you can have this effect on leaders and you can have this effect on people instead of you can have this effect on inventory levels or production flow or patient processing, things like that. Every one of those tools that that lean experts talk about, everything from pull systems to creating flow to uh, workplace organization systems to standardized work, They all have this kind of hidden component of creating a situation that provides feedback to an individual, that lets them know that they're on track to achieve the goal, Uh, that lets them know what the goal is very clearly up front for both today and for the longer term, Uh, and we, we build these kinds of lean structures into the workplace where people can actually see things and you're constantly reminded that this is where I'm supposed to be and I've got a problem. And if you've got a problem, here's what happens. Uh, those kinds of systems are, are both very good for developing the right kind of leaders and very good for getting the best kind of results. Uh, it does take some time to build those. We've seen them and uh, I spent a lot of time with uh, the state government in Arizona, where Governor Ducey has kind of, when he took office, he put a stake in the ground, and said, "Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna adapt uh, some of these lean behaviors for government operations." And you go through the government offices in Arizona; they've all got these wonderful visual boards. They've all got these key metrics that the teams are keeping track of. Uh, they're huddling every day. It's it's a phenomenal thing to see, folks in a government organization who are actually pulling together, who are more aware of what's going on and what everybody else is doing so nobody feels like, oh, my God, we're overworked and I'm the only one who does anything around here. When, when you have those kinds of attitudes that come out, uh, it only breaks down the team. It doesn't build it up. So by having everybody know what everybody else is doing, everybody's aware of the workplace, they, they draw a lot of satisfaction from that. So if we can build in these kinds of visual systems, if we can measure the right kind of things, if we can build plans particular in particular for what people are supposed to do on a day-to-day basis and then meet once a day to talk about those kinds of key things, um, I think uh, the only result will be a more effective organization.
0: Now, I know that you get out and you speak with with students and probably some others as well at, at various speaking engagements. When you get out, what do you find to be the, the key questions that people are asking and thinking about when it comes to leadership and their, their preparation for leadership in the future?
1: Let's see. I, I want to say I want to I want to couch this in terms of, of the things that I noticed that are barriers. Okay. So I talk to a lot of people who are very willing to agree. With these key principles of leadership that I've talked about a little bit about today, but for other people, (laughs) change is fine. Everybody else, you know, if if only Billy Bob and Joe would change, this place would be a whole lot better. And and that's not what I'm really interested in. I'm I'm interested in talking to you. Okay, Mm. if if you are willing to acknowledge that you don't know what you don't know, uh, if you're willing to acknowledge that. You're not the be-all, end-all. You're not the greatest thing that walked on the planet. If you are willing to make small or large changes in the way that you interact with people, in the way that you make decisions, in the way that you perform uh, your job, if you're willing to make those changes, we can create really effective leaders out of anybody. But you have to be willing to do that. And I have wonderful conversations with people all over the place, but... We still have way too many people who say, Yeah, those other people need to change. I'm so good. Nobody says that outright. You know, I'm so good. Everybody else has to change. But just in the discussions that I have with an awful lot of people, they don't acknowledge their own responsibility in changing and in so doing and changing the organization. A lot of people are waiting for the boss to take that first step. So we're back in that compliance culture that I mentioned earlier. So I want your listeners to look at yourself, just look in the mirror. What do you need to? do. What do you need to change about the way you lead and the way you interact with people, even if you're not in a leadership role, right? What are you going to do differently? And then make a plan so that you can stick to that and get some help. Have somebody coach you. It doesn't have to be an outside, highly paid executive coach consultant. It can be your buddy across the way who you meet for lunch every week. Do little things, but you got to change. you got to change. Figure out what it is you've got to change and then do it.
0: That's a good word, and David, my final question for you today is, what is a message that you would like to leave the listeners with? I know there are a lot of things we talked about today, a lot of things that we didn't because you've done quite a bit in your writing and in your work, but if you were to leave the listeners with something today, whether it is a message that we've already talked about or maybe something that we haven't had a chance yet to bring up today, what would that be?
1: Don't necessarily try to do this by yourself. One, you have to be self-aware. You got to get some folks to tell you what you need to be aware of. You have to be willing to hear that, uh, which is very difficult for a lot of people in a lot of leadership positions. Uh, Nobody really wants to hear that uh, you say, uh, and you're speaking a lot, or you know, Uh, nobody wants to hear that uh, you pretend to listen, uh, but you don't really listen. Uh, Because the first thing we want to do is defend our own actions and behaviors. Uh, So we've got to Get to the point where we can actually listen to that. And some of the work structures you can put in place will help you with that as well. I've got this one idea about like a 360-degree evaluation board for the leaders in an organization where it's posted on the wall and everybody gets a chance. Every week you get an evaluation from people who lead who you lead and the people who lead you, uh, and it's all on the board. And so... If you make everything apparent and you're not trying to hide and protect everything, then it makes it much more willing to say, you know, you're right. I do need to change the way that I talk to you because I know that with you, I have to be much more directive or I thought I had to be much more directive. So I I don't cut you as much slack and it appears as favoritism for other folks. And I don't want to show favorites. I want everybody to develop on the same plane. So uh, be willing to uh, ask The question, and there's all kinds of little devices that will get that 360 degree feedback. Some of them are free some of them are pretty expensive, but they're all pretty valuable. But get that feedback and listen to it and figure out what you're going to do. And now we're back to that decide. You've got to decide what you're going to do differently and then make a plan for how you're going to do that and stick to that plan and get somebody to help hold you to that plan.
0: Well, David, where can people go if they would like to learn more about you and the work that you do after listening to what you've shared with us today on the podcast?
1: I don't have tons and tons of stuff. i got a couple of books out there. I've got the the Leader Sites book that we mentioned. I would, uh, again, encourage folks to pick that up and thumb through that. Uh, I've also got uh, the C4 Process book uh, that really points more to that structure of engaging employees uh, in solving problems. I've got uh, some good stuff, some good free stuff on my website. Uh, As a matter of fact, you can download the C4 book for free. If you go to my website, uh, it's uh, DavidVeach.com. and there's a free downloads button. Give me your email address, and you can download a whole copy of the C4 book. You can get uh, worksheets and forms and and C4 cards that will engage folks. Uh, So there's a bunch of stuff on the website, and if you want something else that's not on there, uh, all you got to do is send me an email. I'll be happy to respond to that.
0: All right. Well, David, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Josh. It's been great. If you are a leader who really wants to make sure that you have an empowered workplace, I highly encourage you to save this episode and take a listen to last week's episode with Andy Wallace and use these two together to really continue to inform your thinking in this area to make sure that you really are creating a workplace environment that is encouraging the best in other people. Now let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one is simply David's idea of Loving, learning, and letting go. That is, to put the needs of other people first, then to understand their problems so you can provide support, and finally, to let go of your need to control so that your team can really be empowered to do that work they're supposed to be doing. The second thing is David's idea of connecting. The idea of attracting people to your team by bragging on the efforts and the results of your team. I really like the idea of attracting others by talking about how good your team is. Not necessarily putting the attention on yourself, but by talking about your team. And of course, that would presuppose that you are actually allowing your team to function at that highest capacity. And the final gem from this episode is the idea of how to build organizational values into structures that actually drive behaviors. And what David said for this is to define what those acceptable behaviors are and to build feedback mechanisms that reinforce those behaviors and then make sure those behaviors are really being enforced. And if you do this and do it well, then you can begin to make sure that your values are built into the natural behaviors of the organization. Now, our interview for later this week has actually not been recorded yet, and that is hardly ever the case. In fact, I can't remember the last time that that was true. But assuming all goes as planned, we'll be hearing from an author who has a book coming out this week that's focused on how to prepare for and bounce back from crisis. This is something that is extremely relevant today, and the book was not actually supposed to be coming out until June But because of our current situation with the coronavirus, it's being released two months early and I wanted to make sure to bring this to you as soon as we possibly could. So be sure to come back later this week and plan to hear how you can prepare for and respond to crisis and implement that in your leadership today. I hope you'll join us then and until then, keep living and leading well.